so basically you take a live mic, you hit people up with a question, and you get them on the fly to see what they say. Sometimes you get the most honest answers out of people who are unprepared. And it's really funny, people that are typically really cavalier, the minute you come at them, sometimes they'll run in the opposite direction, which also has its own level of humor just for me personally. <laughs> but but uh, anyway, they're, they're, one of the things, the man on the street things that, uh, that was done was called, what do you live for? So I wanted to show you guys that for just a second. Is it 
Is it frozen? That's a good sign. <laughs> yeah, when it when it uh, everything goes off without a hitch, you start to wonder. But then when it starts messing up, you're like, okay, I'm onto something. Here we go. All right, this guy is from Petersburg. I don't know if you realize that or not, but he was nominated for a Grammy, all sorts of stuff. But this is the voice of the generation. Nominated for a Grammy, that means you sold a lot of records to start with, right? There are a lot of people listening to your message, and then you get the nomination. You don't get nominated just because they liked your song. But look, life, here's what he has to say. Life in general, well, you got to believe in you. You live for your life, your life for you. You do what you do for you. Because the moment you start to live your life for others, you lose yourself within that. Focus on what it is you want to have and then go get it. How many yous can we get in there? All right, so do we do we see a consistent kind of selfish message of look out for yourself? You don't want to live your life looking out for anybody else. You might get disappointed, so look out for yourself. Well, I, you know, this whole thought process of looking out for you can leave you pretty empty because at the end of the day, if you're having a bad day and all you got is you, who's going to help you with that? Best-selling author. She does a lot of the sci-fi. She's the number one uh, New York Times bestseller. Same generation. I don't know what world you live in, but in mine, people only do things for you for one of two reasons. The first is they want something in return, and the second is they feel like they owe you something. Okay, these are two predominant voices of this generation selling millions of copies of records, millions of books with this same consistent theme of I, me, mine, what's in it for me is all I'm worried about. Starting to get a clearer picture of answering that question of what do you live for and why do you do the things you do? If this is the desperation you feel, you somehow feel secure in being this kind of arrogant, in my opinion then it makes more sense now why people do the things they do with, without regard for anyone else. Like when you, you burn a flag with a veteran standing next to you. You don't care what he's been through as much as you care what you've been through. That, that kind of stuff. Just it, I find it puzzling, but I'm starting to understand better. So all of this makes me have that just basic, What? You know, and, and maybe this is why this kind of mess happens at Christmas. This was on Friday. All right. So it's not about the, the who of Christmas or the joy of giving and receiving. All right. And I, I wondered what happened. I went to see if there was a, you know, because a lot of times photographers will put it on high speed and they'll take a string of pictures. I wondered what happened next. Because in my mind, you know, your first impression, you say, there's a child in a pink coat. You know, and she seems to be in the front, so maybe that was hers. And then this guy's trying to help, but for some reason, this lady's tackled the television, right? So I'm trying to figure out what happens next. Well, you would hope it gets a little better. It, it turned into this. It was a free-for-all brawl, and and you know, I look, folks. I don't want to say it out loud, but really, you're going to fight over that, all right? I don't, don't want to mess up your, 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 but you get what I'm saying. So. Um, it's about the battle. It's about fighting for what's yours. It's about having purpose. That's what this stuff reflects is a, a lack of purpose. What do you live for? And if all you're living for is to, to win 
next fight to, to show somehow that you have value. This stuff gets a little, this is nuts. So I want to ask you, what makes a gift special? You know, we, we talk about what do you what do you live for? And we, we we hear people talking about my family and my kids and this and that and rock and roll and food. The guy that said food was skinny. I found that hard to believe. But, but uh, so what makes a gift special? What? Who gives it to me? That's a really good point. Who gives you the gift makes it special? I mean, this is kind of open-ended. What makes a gift special to you? The love that comes with it? There you go. What else makes a gift special? To you. What, Tom? It's free. I do. Man, I'm talking from his wallet. <laughs> they cost me nothing. Is there anything else that you can think of? When you Somebody took the time or sacrifice. We think it, when we're at church, we talk about sacrifice. But when the world, when we're dealing with each other, we're talking about inconvenience. You took the time to do something. See, uh, putting a smile on someone else's face. Now she's talking about what makes it makes it special as the giver or the giver. Something that you really need. Getting something that you need. There's that practical part of it. But if I gave you a gift, what do we typically do? Now, now Nicholas this morning was bothered by this little box, and I had to reassure him. It's a sermon analogy. Don't get upset. Because he was all about... <laughs> and he's already into the... <laughs>
But there is a gift that we receive. And we sometimes we forget. I'm, I've written so many stories where we try to tie Easter and Christmas together because we try to treat them as separate holidays. But they were genuinely connected. One led to the other. And there was a, a gift that we were given uh, the whole salvation message, that, that moment that Jesus died on the cross that bridged that gap that gave us all the option for eternity. But more people that I talk to who are agnostic or just don't believe at all, they have trouble receiving this gift because they have trouble seeing that it matters. See, when you're living your own life and you're doing your own thing and you are worried about you, and I could give you an option that's the end of life option that says you don't have to die, that you can go between here and there, that there is a chasm that says, uh, you know, though I walk through the valley and shadow of death, it doesn't say I laid down and I lingered there. I walked through. The walk through comes from this. But did you hear the guy on there, the cornball, that says, well, I don't plan to die. That's the way people think. They don't want to hear an end message. They don't want to end game. They don't want to think beyond Tuesday of next week. So they have a hard time receiving this gift. Have a hard time understanding why anyone would possibly do that. Because certainly that's for the end of my life. I wrote a a song once that talked about, you know, um, uh, I'll accept the Lord just before I die. It was kind of the end of the sentence. Because I had met this older lady who said, you know, I don't know the Lord. I know it's important to believe in God. You know, it's one of those where you do an interview and she's talking like this. And she said, I know know there's a God. I'll, I'll get to that. But I'm going to live my life and I'm going to pray just before I die. That's what she said. And I thought to myself, holy moly, what if you don't get that last breath? What if you can't think of the words to speak? What if you don't have that moment of clarity? What if? The what ifs were exponential. But she had it all figured out because she didn't want to interrupt the flow that she had become comfortable in. Because she thought this took away from her life. God talks about a life more abundantly. This isn't a distraction. This helps you to live a life more abundantly if you understand what it's really offering you. The liberation to live your life not worried about the end. That's a huge gift. But look, outside of Easter, there's that other gift. The gift of the word of God. The living message that that he wants to, the love letter that he sent you or has given you that every day can speak to your life in a new way. But this is where I see the separation between those who believe in Jesus as Lord and personal Savior and those who truly understand how to live life more abundantly. It's, it's right here. Because if you accept Jesus as your Lord and personal Savior, you can go through life not reading the Bible. You can go through life not going to church. You can go through life not praying. That sounds harsh, doesn't it? But it's the truth. People do it every day. They pray to prayer. They remember praying. They know God is real and they have a, a fear of him. But they don't have a relationship with him. This is the relationship manual right here. This is the the gift that he's given you to help you communicate with him every day. To to know why it's important to pray. To know why to desire him in your life. I I know quite a few people who have God over there 
and life over here. It wants to intermingle. It wants to entwine. It wants to be part of everything that you do. God wants to give you that message. So let's talk about gift for a minute. Gift has a huge if in the middle. And for us, just as human beings living and giving gifts, it's, well, if it's wrapped right, and if it's the right one, and if it's the right price, and if they'll like it, and, and if we'll see them in time to give it to them before Christmas. If I can return it, if I can find the receipt. It was always a joke in our house at Christmas when my dad would get my mom something. He'd always tell everybody, the receipt's right here. Because he knew it was going back, whatever it was. It got kind of comical after a while. I would tell him, go buy something just silly because you know. She liked to figure out exactly what she needed. But it kind of took a little bit of the joy out of the giving because the giver already knew, keep the receipt. And some of us are like that too. Do you keep the receipt? This is nice. You know, you open up, this is really good. It's not for me. But anyway, there, there's all sorts of things. But there's an if in gift. There's also an if in the Bible. God's promises come with ifs. Did you know that? There's an if-then statement. When you accept Jesus as Lord and personal Savior, you say, yes, Lord, I accept you. He loves you. He embraces you. He hugs you. He says, oh. Now, when you meet that someone special, do you hug and embrace and say, I love you and I care for you, and then you don't talk to them anymore? No. You get on the cell phone. You get on your Twitter. You get on email. You go wherever you got to go together. Because you love being with that person. And you want them to be a part of everything in your life. But some of us have missed the love letter component. We've missed the if component. That, yes, Jesus, I love you and thank you for saving me. Now let me get on with my life. I'll get back with you in a minute. That's not how it works. But there's if in the Bible. The word if is used a little over 1,700 times in 1,500 verses in the NIV. And you say, well, that's a translation. Okay, let's look at King James. If is used more than 1,500 times in 1,400 verses. God's love is unconditional, but his promises have requirements. His love is unconditional. But if you want that life more abundant, there are, there are some requirements. <clears throat> Jesus said, if... You forgive men when they sin against you. Then your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. That's in Matthew. That's a huge if. Let's take a minute. Give yourself a gift for this Christmas. Deal with this if. Deal with this if. If there's someone in your heart that's offended or hurt you, if there's someone who's let you down, do you know that the, the highest rate of, of suicide and things like that happening is this time of year where people are acutely aware of family and issues and all sorts of things? Liberate yourself from, from this if and accept the deliverance that comes from it. Now, does that mean that you have to go to them? I've met so many people that get in a counseling situation and they say this and that happens. A lot of times, the forgiveness just happens right here, between here and here. Buddy talks about the guy that called him one time and said, oh, I was really mad at you, but I'm forgiving you. And Buddy had no idea what was going on. Now, he had wisdom in that situation because he didn't go, what are you talking about? Which would have stirred the pot all back up again. He just let him off the hook. Didn't need to know. The, the need to forgive was greater than the need to know. 
So I'm going to ask you guys today, this imp right here, I'm not asking you to go out and, and see somebody and do anything. None of that. I'm just saying in your own heart and mind, if it's just you before God, just say, God, this happened, I forgive them. Let that be the start. Let God take care of the rest. But let that be the start. Another if. Jesus said, because you have so little faith, I tell you the truth. If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to the mountain, move from here to there and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. It's a huge if. If you have faith, if you believe, if you will ask, I will do all things for you. Nothing will be impossible for you because you're going to do it with me. If. It doesn't say go out on your own, do your own thing, consult me next week, I'll see you next Sunday. It says, let me go with you. I will help you. And you know what's really interesting? I've had people argue with me about this. They say, well, look, you know, I asked God to move them out. I asked God to do this or that, and it didn't move. What happened? You know what happens when you have a relationship with God? It temperance the things you ask. It makes you ask for the big stuff, and it gives you the grace to realize that you don't know all the answers. So sometimes when you're going, God, I need that. Like, you know, I'm looking for a car, and I'm like, God, I need a new car. But I have the wisdom now to realize, after years of mistakes, I'm going, God, you show me what it is that I need. Instead of me telling him what i got to have, you show me what, how to get what it is that I need. It changes you. The relationship changes you to understand that if that little speck of faith can make mountains move, that God, I'm coming with you because I know you have so much more than that to offer. He's giving you the minimalist approach, folks. Have you ever asked somebody, what's the least I need to do? <laughs> I, I'm serious. I mean, Nicholas has a science project right now and it had uh, all these requirements. And then at the bottom it said, for the least you need to do for an A. Man, we were starting on that paragraph right there because it's overwhelming. If we did it all, it would take me and Nicholas a month to do it. But the least. So he set, he set the bar pretty low. He's given you the absolute smallest seed on God's created earth. And he said, if you can have that, which by the way, the tree and the whatnot that comes from that is enormous. But if you can have just that much, just a smidgen, nothing will be impossible for you. So he didn't set the bar real high. He didn't say, well, if you must believe in this and that, and, and you know, you got to read the Pentateuch and go climb the mount of whatever and do that. No, you got to go to the Dead Sea and float for three hours. He didn't give you any of that, okay? He just said, look, mustard seed. Could have made it complicated, but he put an if in there. If you have faith. I've given, again, I've given you a gift. The gift has a message. And if you'll receive it, something amazing will happen. It's another message about us getting out of our own way. To believe. Jesus said, if you believe, you will receive whatever you ask and pray for. He had a tendency to repeat himself. I think I found this in four or five other places. It was important. Important enough that if you didn't get it on the first pass, I'm going to say it again. And being, you know, I've, I've realized that there are some... Very kind-hearted. When Jesus would deal with the children as they were running around being noisy, you know, James was the one that kept everything in order, and he got up and said, hey, get out of here! And Jesus said, stop, let the children come to me. He had an amazing amount of insight and patience with us when we weren't doing all the right things in all the right times. And I think that's why he repeats himself quite often on the important stuff. 
just given us every opportunity to understand, look, whatever you pray for isn't ridiculous. Whatever's on your heart and mind isn't ridiculous. Whatever you need isn't ridiculous. But if you believe that I can help you, we're going to see great things happen. It's not ridiculous. But in order to have the faith to believe, you got to push out. When the doctor says it's impossible, God says it's probable. Let me help you. When the bank says, I don't know, God says there's a way. There's a constant fight of logic and faith. You've got to be willing to fight the good fight, receive the gift. If I can lock it up again. Jesus said, notice I'm sticking to the red letter versions, all right? There's about 1,500 ifs in the Bible. These are, in my opinion, the important ones, all right? There's a ton of them. But but if Jesus said it, I'm paying attention. I think it's funny sometimes when you look at the Bible, you flip to the red part. I don't know, that's just me. I'm like, okay, I want, tell me what you said. So here we go. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. What a promise. Holy moly, I've seen death. I've been over there at Susan's, at Glader Rollins. I've been over there. All right? We, we've all had, had that encounter. You know, I, I can tell you a story that's kind of weird and creepy at the same time if you want to hear it. My grandmother and I were very close. And I can remember her being very sick. She was a, a deeply devout woman. She knew she was very strong in her faith. She had one of those giant Bibles that had been used so much that the leather was super pliable, you know, and had that that smell of being used. You know what you know what I'm talking about? And several times she had been in intensive care, and the family had been called in. But we had something. There was something between me and her. I don't know what it was. I was little, but there was something there. So it never failed. She'd be in ICU and all these horrible things were going on. And I'd go in. The doctor would look at me like, oh, no, you better not. And I was like, I'm going to see my grandmother. And he was trying to warn me about tubes and all this stuff. Well, I'd go in there and I'd grab her hands and we'd pray. And the next thing you know, my grandmother would be sitting up. And the doctor would be coming in going, what in the world is going on? And my grandmother would get moved to another room. And then she'd go home. And so it was always something there with us where we just knew we could pray for stuff and good things will happen. Well, when my, my grandmother passed away... I took my mom to North Carolina, and, and we left everybody here. We needed to hurry up and get there. Everything had just happened. And anyway, we get to the, the little funeral home in the little bitty town in the middle of North Carolina. And as I pull up in the parking lot, I tell my mom, let me go with you. She says, no, I'll come with you. I'm going inside to try to get it straight. What do I need to do? Who do you meet with? I'm new to all this, the funeral planning and the death stuff. I, I didn't know what to do. So I went inside, and the, the lady at the desk greeted me, and she said, you know, real sweet. Hey, how you doing? And I said, well, you know, I'm here to try to make the arrangements, get stuff straight. From, you know, I gave her my grandmother's name. And, and she's like, okay, all right, honey, come on. She was on the phone at the same time. I learned a valuable lesson. Make people pay attention when you're talking to them about this stuff, right? She's on the phone. She's like, okay, Luna. Okay, my grandmother's name was Luna. So, okay, Luna. All right, just just a minute. So she hangs up the phone. All right, come on, honey. She takes me down the hall. And she, oh, here you go. And she flings the door open. There's my grandmother. She's getting all the stuff that they do prior to all the things that you're not supposed to see. And I slammed the door and I said, what are you doing? That's my mom right here. What are you doing? Oh, aren't you here to, to help with it? And she thought I was there to do the hair and the makeup and all that stuff. Holy Toledo Batman. There, all right. 
I'm like, no, 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 that's not me. No, no, she should have picked up on the sweatshirt and the jeans. That was not me. But nonetheless, there was a, a new epiphany of what happens in that process. But I was really astounded by the fact I knew my grandmother knew Jesus. I knew we had talked about, even as a child, that on your last breath, you are unaware. You take your breath, you see Jesus, you walk into his arms. The world is left with what's behind. We go into what's ahead. You will never see death if you believe in Jesus. If, if you believe, you don't, you cross over, you go on. She had no idea what was happening there, and I'm glad for it. I'm, I've had conversations with relatives before that say, well, when I die, will you come see me? And I'm like, what are you talking about? Would you visit my grave? They're all worried about their legacy, their, their afterwards. Would you come see me? I've told them flat out, and I've I talked about this. On my tombstone, I wanted to say, what are you doing here? Go do something. <laughs> I am not here. I'm not in right now. I want to put a voice message on my thing. I'm not in right now. I don't plan to be back. <laughs> Jesus said, I did not tell you that, did I, did I not tell you that if you believe, you would see the glory of God. He said it again in a different way. The glory of God, that passing forward, that moment where you go from body ache, transition into body renewed, that, that moment you go from heartbreak and heartache and anguish into peace that surpasses understanding. You will never experience. I've heard people preach on the pain of transition and thought to myself, have you not read this? Jesus said, by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. See, the disciples initially were 12 and then as the message spread, the number of disciples began to increase. We are all a part of that discipleship. We are all, disciple means someone who studies, someone who learns, someone, basically there's an old Hebrew adage that talks about being, the studying at the feet of the master, the feet of your heavenly father. So if you are a disciple, if you want to know more of God, if you want him to be your your living, loving savior in your life, then you're going to learn how to love one another. And you know, sometimes loving one another just simply means sense enough. I, I watched so many stories pre-Thanksgiving about how to handle the election conversation at the Thanksgiving table. I got a real tip. I, it'll cut half and broadcast in half. <laughs> Just hush. Talk about something else. Hey, you like your shoes, like your sweater. Turkey's good. Find something else. Seek to love one another. Hey, your house is beautiful. Glad you're here. Thank you for Find something else. You can choose it. Sometimes I've, I've always given people this analogy of, you know, you've got to be a smarter fish. Have you ever been around somebody that baits the hook? They throw something right at you and they just wait for let it linger. There. Come on, come on. They're waiting. They're waiting. They want to see. They say something that they know you're sensitive about and they just let it linger there for a minute. They're very patient. And the minute you bite, here we go. They came to the party with matches in their pocket. <laughs> We've got to be smarter about that. Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey what I command. And what did he command? Love one another. If you love me, love them. How many times have we 
We said, I, I've said to Nicholas, look, man, for me, would you please do this? It may not be his initial instinct to do whatever the this is, but I said, look, man, just for me. Jesus is saying the same thing here. Hey, for me. You know me. You know what I've done for you. You know my commitment to you. You know that I love you. Trust me on this one. Do it this way. Trying to save us a lot of strife. Again, this isn't something where we can control the reaction of others. But we can certainly control ourselves. Jesus said, If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love. Just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remained in His. Again, He's redirected us a third time to the importance of love. Of caring for one another. Sometimes, folks, you have to love at a distance. You have to love at a distance. You don't criticize, condemn, and complain. You pray for them. You hope. You ask Jesus to do things for them. You wait for miracles to happen. Because you know that if you believe, they will. Jesus said, you are my friends if you do what I command. If here we go again. There's this, in the if, there is a relationship. Have you ever said to somebody, hey, I'm going to TJ Maxx. Uh, I'll believe it at three if you want to go. You're giving them an invitation in the if. It's not a separation. It's an invitation. It's giving you a chance to participate in this process. Faith isn't something that's done to you. It's something you do. It isn't something that, that you just hope to have. It's something you work at having. The faith to believe for big things takes time invested. Isn't it funny that we trust God for our eternity, but we want to trust God with the electric bill. We've got to have some, yes God, I'm going to do all I can. I'm going to head. I remember playing playing ball in college and stuff like that, and I can honestly say that I never went to bat without praying. But I learned really early, I don't know, maybe 10 or 11 years old, when I would go to pray before I get up to bat because you're nervous, you know, and you're standing there. That's why you do all this stuff before you bat because you're nervous. You're trying to get it all out so you don't look like an idiot when you go swing. I can remember thinking, well, God, I don't want to pray to win because what if everybody on that other bench knows you? And now we're all playing to win. So in my little mind as a child, I can remember thinking, how unfair is that for me to be telling God, well, I want to win and then they want to win. It kind of puts them in a hard spot. So I, this is the truth. So I learned early on, I'd say, God, please help me to play to the best of my ability. And what that meant was, if I'd gone to practice, if I'd spent time at the batting cage, if I'd thrown a thousand pitches out in the yard, I had prepared for what I was about to do. So help me do the best of my ability. But if I had to show it up, if I didn't practice, if I didn't give a hoot, and I just showed up and started swinging it back, God, let me win. How ridiculous is that? Because I'm unprepared for what I'm I'm asking God to bless me to do. There's an element of preparation in faith. You've got to spend some time understanding what it means to believe. Spend some time trusting God to do things for you. And having the patience to wait. We're a bunch of doers. God, I need this or that. And the minute we finish praying, we start figuring out what we need to do next. But if you're my friends, you will do what I command. If God is for us, who can be 
If God is for us, who can be against us? Huge if. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's a huge if. If you confess with your mouth, yes, Lord, I believe in you. I believe in my heart that that you have saved me, God. It wasn't maybe, it wasn't might, it wasn't if you do everything else right, it wasn't if you follow all the other ifs, it wasn't any of that. It's definitive. You will be saved. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone away and the new has come. If anyone is in Christ, The difference between Christianity and many of the other religions in the world is the fact that your salvation has been paid for and it's free for you. It is a gift. You have the option to receive or reject it. You have the option to believe what's written in the Bible and accept it as your own personal truth or reject it. God gives you that option because as you heard in the other scriptures, he refers to being a friend. He wants a relationship with you. He wants on each and every day of your life to play a part. He doesn't want to be left out. But again, he's not that one that barges through the door either. He waits for an invitation. He wants to love you. He yearns to love you with all of his heart. The only thing separating us sometimes from the love of God and the power of our faith is ourselves. Our ability to accept this, the what is in life, followed by, yes, God, I believe you're my Lord and personal Savior. So what if this changed everything? When he hopped out the boat and he walked on the water and all the disciples' mouths fell open. And they realized, this man, there's there's an old line, he is who he says he is. That epiphany happened. The storm settled He walked. And all the disciples who had traveled around with him who were freaking out in the boat all of a sudden realized he is who he says he is. Holy moly. The ifs were coming to fruition. And in the gift that God gave to us on Easter, the gift of salvation, the gift of knowing him as Lord and personal Savior, the gift of never having to feel the sting of this, was followed up by a love letter. You're not the mistakes you have made. You're not the mistakes you have made. I've made provisions for you. It says that you'll be washed white as snow. Now the blood of Jesus, the blood of Jesus heals. The blood of Jesus forgives. The blood of Jesus makes new. He left you a love letter. But then there was the gift. The gift that we didn't open. The gift that we seldom open. The gift that life gets too busy and then we don't know what to do. Do you spend much time with that? And it doesn't have to be that little book. It can be on your phone or wherever, but do you spend some time getting to know who God is and why he is or whatever? Have you accepted the gift? We go 
come to God with a reluctance sometimes about receiving the gifts that he has us. And as adults, we do this kind of nonsense where we're, we pick the tape. You ever been with somebody? That's what they do. They pick the tape before they go. Because they're going to save that paper. Are you forgetting it? Really? They're going to save the paper. The gift that God has for you requires this. There has to be an element of fervency. Have you ever noticed that when you accepted Jesus, there was something in your heart that sprang up and you said, Oh my gosh, I believe. And you've never felt as good as you did that day. Because there was something in you changed. The world changed as you knew it. But you don't have to live in that emotional moment of, I remember when I first believed. You can believe every day. Something great can happen every day. God can deliver you every day. He can answer your prayers every day. But there's something that has to happen with us. You know, as we, we kind of open the box and we say, oh my gosh, let me get into it. And by box, I mean book. We open the book. Oh God, you know, okay, well, if I, if I go to the first chapter and all these people are related and the Pentateuch, I don't get it. Flip the Psalms. Flip the Psalms. Find the comfort. You'll want to know the history once you know the facts. Once you get into the comforting essence of God where he says, I'm with you every day. But in college, we used to have great big books that we, you know, have to study. And I remember it was a big joke, osmosis. You guys know what that is? Where everybody's like, put it under your pillow, you wake up smarter. You know, <laughs> somehow, if it was just close to you, you would, you would get, you'd learn what was in it. If you carried it around long enough, you'd know what was in it. It's not how it works. You gotta spend some time with it. It looks good on the coffee table. Looks better when it's dusted. It's okay if it's dented and bent. And so, you know, I broke a pen open in my Bible one time and it drove me crazy. I had to go get another one to see what was on that page. I couldn't stand it, but I couldn't see it. I think of people in other countries where they are ripping pages out of the Bible and passing them to one another one page at a time because they'll get killed for having a page. I remember going into China and them telling me, hey, you better put your Bible away. That's punishable by death. There's a reason they don't want them to know the power of the Almighty God. So is, is yours dusty? Is it bent? Is it benton? Do you have it on your phone? Have you opened it lately? How much time have you spent with it? But you don't get to just have osmosis. You don't get to just hope that it's there. You don't get to just go, oh man, I can't wait to just... This is how we approach everything. The people fighting over the TV have more excitement over that little television than they do over this. Okay, so we're wrapping our presents under the tree, which I'm one of you. I'm right there with you. I'm trying to figure out what to get. All right, but it just isn't, I'm not telling you it's one or the other. I'm saying this is the reason for the season. It is not a button. It is not a pen. It is not a saying or a mantra. It doesn't need to be on a flag. It needs to be in your heart. Okay? Matthew, start there. Give yourself a chance to read for yourself. Because here's what happens when you read for yourself. Look, I don't ever stand here knowing everything. I am fairly certain I don't know everything. I can probably name more things I don't know than I do know. I'm pretty grounded in that. But if I ever misquote this, I want you to know. And the only way you'll know is if you spend some time with it. You don't ever listen to somebody in this spot void of your own knowledge and relationship. I am prone to mistakes and errors. So is everyone else. But if you know for a fact what happened, if you know what God says, 
you will not be led astray. But there comes that point where we, we have this book. And you know me and my little analogies. Look. If everything requires something of you. If you can connect to it. If you can make a connection. Let's see if I can. Then all of a sudden there's something that happens when you make that connection. It begins to change the way you see things. Then it begins to change the way you look at others. Then it begins to change everything in your life based on the what you know instead of what you think. It becomes less about you and becomes more about him. The more it's about him, the less mistakes you begin to make. The more you forgive, the less less you are offended. And if you can step away from being offended for a minute, if you can step away from thinking that you know everything for just a minute, that gift that God intended for you will change the way you look at everything. Isn't that cool? Listen, can you hear all that? I'm reflecting all the sound and everything. But this right here, as cool as it is, in the box by itself, does not. If I don't connect it, it doesn't. This right here on my bedside, on my coffee table, in my car, in my glove compartment, does nothing if I don't connect with it. And honestly, I'm connecting with him. When I read his word, I'm allowing him to speak to me. I'm shutting my mouth long enough to hear. You ever notice it's hard to talk and read at the same time? <laughs> and if somebody's talking to you and you're trying to read something, it's you Give yourself that moment. Give yourself just a few minutes a day to let God speak to you. Give yourself that gift this Christmas. Know Him as Lord and personal Savior. What you live for is transformed by who you live for. My favorite verse in the Bible is, Call on me and I will answer you. Call on me and I will show you great and mighty things you know not. Actually, I left the part out. Call on me, I will answer you, and I will show you great and mighty things you know not. I love that verse because it requires something of me. I've got to call. I'm not responsible for the answer, but I got to call. He promises to answer. And then he promises not just to answer, but to go far beyond anything I could ask for. Can you trust him to do that for you? Know his promises. You know, there's a scripture that says, God always keeps his promises. He does not lie. So wouldn't it be important to know what promises you can count on? Especially this time of year when everything is so complicated. Because see, Jesus loves you. He wants to be everything to you. No matter what your situation, no matter where you're at today, he wants to meet you in that place. So let's pray. God, we we are grateful that we are coming into the season of celebrating Christmas. God, we are grateful that you loved us enough to die for our sins. We are really grateful you rose from the dead and that if we have accepted you as Lord and personal Savior, that we never have to experience that. 
But God, I pray today that you would help us to connect more with you. That you would help us to read your word, to understand it. That you would help us, God, to seek your wisdom and replace it our own. God, we ask today, Father, if there's anyone here who says, you know what, I'm not sure. I know when I was younger, I asked God to help me, and I'm just not sure. I'm going to tell you what, it's okay to say, God, right now, today, I rededicate my life to you. Right now, today, I ask you, Lord, to be my Lord and personal Savior. Right now, today, God, you know, I haven't prayed, I haven't been connecting with you. God, I want you to be my friend, so I'm going to be a friend to you. I'm going to do my best, Lord, to, to talk to you each day for a few minutes. I'm going to do my best, Lord, to read your word each day. I'm going to do my best, God, to, to try to understand who you are as a loving, caring Savior. And God, I thank you that in your promises you tell us, Father, that you will take care of us. That you, the mountains will move. God, for all the mountains in our lives right now, I just pray, Father, for your grace for your mercy for your anointing for your power for those who are sick i pray god you heal them for those god who feel lost i pray for direction for those god who just feel alone i pray right now lord god your holy spirit would fill them to the point they say i am not alone god loves me he cares for me will help me every step of the way and carry the burdens I've carried far too long by myself. So God, we are grateful for the opportunity to be here today. Thank you, Lord, for caring so much for us. Thank you, God, for the gift of a love letter that applies to every aspect of our lives. We love you, Lord.